In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. One of the curious um, discoveries of last Advent was that you can now buy Spider-Man, Spider-Man Advent calendars to join Lego Advent calendars, Star Wars Advent calendars, and uh, the delightful Christian Advent calendars that we send, sell in the gift shop. This year, Advent calendars have entered, bizarrely, the luxury adult market. And you can buy, or you perhaps already have bought, an Advent calendar at £300 from Joe Malone. You can smell differently every day of Advent because there's a different fragrance behind every door. Uh, Harrods, however, have a real bargain, and their advent calendar costs £250, but they say that there's more than £600 worth of delicious, fancy goods behind each door. You could begin advent with caviar and then continue with pâté de foie gras and... um, Uh, I can't imagine what the rest of it is, spam, but uh, it'll be very lovely. I can guarantee to you that of all these Advent calendars, the Christian ones and the resolutely secular ones, not a single one of them will have John the Baptist featured in one of the windows. All the nativity plays that find room for Darth Vader and Disney princesses, not a single one will feature John the Baptist. Even though his life is intimately bound up with the story of Christmas. And this is because John the Baptist doesn't offer us warm, fuzzy, nostalgic, sentimental um, encouragement. John the Baptist calls down the judgment of God upon us. There are two moods of Advent. The first mood is celebrated in many of our hymns and songs, It's a sort of joyful rapture that Christ our Saviour is coming, Christ our Saviour is born among us, Christ our Saviour will gather us together at the end of time. This joyful, joyful, rather perhaps sombre joy is found in hymns like Hark a Thrilling Voice is Calling, the great German hymn, Sleepers Awake, and so much of our music. But there is a second mood in Advent, which is about God's judgment of falsity. John the Baptist flings an accusation against the religious and political establishment of his time. As he says, who warned you to
to flee the wrath that is to come. That doesn't fit behind the window of an Advent calendar very, very easily. John is revolted by political compromise, um, self-indulgence, doing itself up as religion, self-righteous religious leaders who are happy to tell everyone else what to do but just exempting themselves of any need to change. John rejects irony, the sense that we can sort of act along with things but we know, we know there's something that it's not quite true. He rejects the sentimental, easy emotion of so many Christmas celebrations. But note very carefully what he wants. He calls for repentance. And this is a very key word in the New Testament and in the Hebrew Bible. In the Hebrew Bible, it's, it's often, the word is often translated return. And the scriptures, the prophets especially, see the movement of repentance as a return to God, a walking back from where we've gone astray to be close to God. You notice there's nothing in that about feeling sorry for our sins. That may be important, but that is not how the scriptures explain repentance. It's a return to the Lord, a walking back so that our lives are centered on God's truth and love and goodness. John the Baptist, though, uses a rather different word, change your mind. He says, change your... He proclaims a change of mind and a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So John is calling not so much for an emotional sadness of what we've done wrong. He's calling for us to drop our habitual ways of thinking, change our mind, and look at God, our world, and ourselves in a different way. He's calling, in fact, for a revolution in our values. We perhaps can't point to many of these in the history of the church, but there's a, a, a very moving example from Ely in Cambridgeshire. The bishops of Ely traditionally had a armed guard and were accompanied into the cathedral by the armed guard that marched with them all the way up to the pulpit. Um, this reflected a certain anxiety amongst medieval bishops of Ely, I think, and the, the tradition continued well into the late 18th century and early 19th century. This militia also was responsible for keeping order 
in the communities around Ely and indeed notoriously fired on a Methodist preacher and congregation when they were thrown out of a local parish church. Um, Ecumenical relationships are sometimes strong, sometimes weak, but thank God we've not got to that. And when the bishop died in about 1810, bishop whose name escapes me, when he died, he was buried in the cathedral and his militia came and just threw their rifles into the grave and dispersed. That was a powerful symbol of repentance, of total change. Whatever caused this absurd, vicious falsity so that a religious leader needed armed protection, we just walk away from it. What's attractive about John's call is that it's a call away from pretense, from massaging the truth, from narratives that lead us away from what is securely based. I find John speaks to me with a special strength during this period when our media are full of different confusing um, accounts of our political life. I don't think John would call us to reject our political life. What John is calling for is a rejection of playing games, of massaging truth. John did not know what the scriptures call the messianic secret, the secret that God comes to us in Christ, not simply in judgment, but in redemption forgiving us our sins, loving us, and so giving us grace to change us. John did not know that it's from God's grace in Christ that we're enabled to make a new beginning. John only saw the first step. The French physicist and mathematician Blaise Pascal kept in his mathematical notebook a sort of commonplace book and series of reflections about his faith. And this is what he wrote about John the Baptist. Comfort yourselves. This comfort is not that we must require grace from ourselves. On the contrary, it is expecting nothing from ourselves. 
but hope. I think he's correctly understood John's message of comfort. It's a comfort that we don't need to get everything right. We don't need to fix everything because we can put our hope not in our own effort, but in God in Christ. So to keep a good Advent is not a matter of eating a chocolate every day from behind each window of your Advent calendar. For John the Baptist, keeping Advent well is noticing where your life rings false, where you're telling yourselves that all is well when you know it is not well, when you're pretending to yourself rather than face up to whatever challenges God has given you. John the Baptist calls us away from pretending and so sets us free. Can we receive the grace from God that will enable us to turn away from falsity and embrace the truth that is God alone?